Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 26, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. Any week after the Deep Stack Charity Classic is a good week, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you haven't been over there in a while. But, uh, a few uh, years, yeah. I always look forward to going over, and actually, I feel bad that we uh, didn't uh, didn't jump uh, tease it a little bit more on the the one show that we did before, <laughs> right? Last week from our long um, break off, but uh, I don't think it really mattered. Uh, they still had well more than six hundred entries this year, and our longtime listeners will know that this is the annual event in Daytona Beach that uh, we say is the packs the most value for your money into any tournament anywhere. Absolutely. Can you uh, beat it? I mean, can you beat it? I don't think you can beat it. It's really hard to, I think, at this point. It is. It's, um, you know, I don't know what the buy-in this year was. It's probably around 200 I think. But uh, but you get this, like, really good – it used to be, a, like, bagels and some other things in the morning, which was good enough. Now they had, like, a whole live pasta bar. So it was, like, brunch. Awesome. And so you had all that. And then for dinner, you had uh, Carabas came in and catered a big dinner for you. Um, they had a bunch of drawings that you'd even have to enter just by playing. You got to you got entered in for, um, and then a bunch of little swag stuff. You know, we got like like a Stella Trois glass now, and um, a bunch of other stuff that they made. Uh, plus, they bring in a lot of celebrities. This year, the the headliner was Mike Sexton, uh, who actually, in all the years that we've been in this, I don't think I've actually ever met, even though he's my Facebook friend, oddly. <laughs> uh, and I still haven't met him. Actually, I didn't, didn't get a chance to go over to say hi to him. But uh, but he was the the big attraction this year. Uh, Norman Chad, of course, is always there, walking around signing his PBR cans. And uh, actually, got got a little giggle out of him this time because he was walking around with twelve ounce Paps cans. And I told him, "Hey, Norm, you know your celebrity slipping now when they don't let you sign tall boys anymore." Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very yeah. good. And did he react to that, or did he just look at you like you were a peasant? That's why I said I got a giggle out of him. <laughs> Because uh, he even admitted that he used to have the tall boys, because that's what I have here at home, I think. Oh, no, no, I got a 12 ounce hair. I was just looking at it. Oh, well. Yeah, well, you're not a celebrity, so. Someday I'll get a tall boy. I yeah, don't know. yeah. But, but anyhow, it's a really well uh, done event, and uh, we're a proud sponsor of it, and uh, look forward to going over there over every year um and normally uh and, and the wife loves going over too because the, they put us up at the really nice hotel on the beach and she gets to hang out enjoy the beach and the uh the pool and the tiki bar and they have they you, it's a hotel that you can they give you a little s'mores kit at night and they have like these little fires out there you can make your own s'mores oh cool. yeah yeah i remember that really kind of cool yeah. uh, unfortunately we had another uh day-long charity event here in safety harbor the day before so she didn't get to go this year and i had to drive over and drive back but uh but still it was a great event um, and, of course, you know, everybody in Florida that we know was there. You know, all, all of our cruise passengers are there. Some people from the Andy Up Tour were there. 
um, and then people that uh, we, we featured in the magazine, people that have met us other places. So you know, you just sit around and people just come up and say, "Hey, Scott, how's it going? Uh, who's who's that guy you're in business with again?" And I'm like, "Chris, oh yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah, yeah." <laughs> now tell the truth. They walk up to you and say, "Hey, Chris, where's Scott?" <laughs> they walk up to me and say, "Hey, Scott, where's Chris?" Yeah, but it's it's a really fun event, and uh, if you're anywhere near Daytona every year, you should come down for it. And and they've extended it now. So, I mean, it started on Thursday night, and they have a tournament every night with a different celebrity. Uh, I felt bad for them. They called me up on Tuesday, and they're like, hey, Scotty Wynn was our our featured pro for Thursday night. He just called and said he had the flu. He can't make it. Can you find us a pro in last short notice? And I'm like... So, all right, this is Annie up. We don't deal with pros anymore. <laughs> I, I can find you a bunch of really cool amateurs to show up. <laughs> uh, but uh, but they've done a good job of rolling it out. So now there's tournaments every single night. And I think, um, and I felt bad. The other part of the reason I felt bad about not being able to go over early is that they had the inaugural Norman Chad Horse Tournament on Friday night this time. So oh, play absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, so um, uh, the part that I like the most, though, and long-time listeners will know this, is that the, they do really good job on getting some really good high-end raffle prizes. When I talk about high-end, nothing is worth less than 900 bucks in this. And yeah. they have dozens of them. And, uh, and then they sell raffle tickets for it. And, you know, it's for the kids, right? So I always peel off a of Benjamin. Um, and I've been really, really lucky uh, I would say skilled, but lucky um, <laughs> over the years at winning these raffles. I want a you know a new iMac for my for my wife. Got a big screen TV, uh, massive uh, cabin up in North Carolina that I took all my family to last year. So um, it's a lot of fun, and part of the reason is that I, I you know, you wouldn't give them hundred bucks, you get a lot of raffle tickets. I actually counted this year, and they gave me four hundred and eighty six raffle tickets for that hundred bucks. So Jeez. about fifty cents a ticket. That's a pretty good deal when yeah. you're talking about potentially if you win all the prizes, you can win fifteen, twenty thousand. Right, right. Not greedy. I just want one every year. That's all I need. Right? <laughs> the problem, though, is now, Chris. Though, is that I am in a two year dry spell now. I didn't win last year. This year, I thought, hey, I'm going to get back into it. I'm going to I'm going to focus on a couple prizes that I really want and just flood the crap out of that basket with tickets and um, uh, no dice. No well, you're starting another tradition. That's all. That's true. That's true. Three years on, three years off. Next year, you won't win either. So what were you really eyeing? Like, what was the thing you really wanted? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I looked around this year, and, uh, you know, there's an iMac there, so I put a couple in there, and that, that would have been a gift to you, because I know your computer is, you know, on death's door, and you never like to spend a nickel, so that would have been helpful for the company, so I, I loaded <laughs> up a little bit on that. Uh, there was a one of those big curved 4K TV things, right? Hell yeah. Um, it came with a PlayStation and all the other stuff that I don't know, but you know, hey, that's what eBay's for, right? right, um, right. But but I, I I would have liked to have a TV, so I would have on that. But the big one I wanted is there was a uh, they had a um, a package from Westgate Resorts, uh, which does timeshares like all over the place, and um, it's you know it wasn't quite clear on there, but I believe the understanding was that you had three nights in any of their properties anywhere wherever, and uh, two round trip tickets on JetBlue. So when we cost anywhere to go and got to relax on that. So um so a couple of funny things about this this year. One, you know, I always go over and have my one guy, my lucky guy. Now I'm gonna have to fire him next year because he's last two years he hasn't been lucky. But the first couple of years he was really lucky, right? And I go over there and I have that Benjamin in my hand, he's like, All right, let's do it and then he just, you know, keeps pulling off tickets and putting it around your neck, right? Yeah. 
So it's like I'm like like Britney Spears on the MTV Awards. Like I got these cobras all over me, right? <laughs> and then so I have to walk, and I have this one little table uh, that's kind of a uh, right inside um, the paramutual place where I I set camp down, right? So mm-hmm. I I take over the whole table. I put all the tickets there. But before I do that, people were coming up and talking to me that that we've met from the cruise and stuff. And then I had the one guy I didn't know me walked up and he's like, "Hey, what's the deal with this?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's great. You just go out there, you get some tickets, and then you put them in the in the bin for whatever you want, and then hopefully you win stuff." He's like, "All right, I'll take uh, twenty dollars worth." I'm like, <laughs> he's trying to buy them from you because you got so many. I'm not selling. I'm buying. <laughs> <laughs> he's like whoa that's a lot of tickets and i'm like i'm a professional raffle prize winner this is what it takes so you go out there with the benjamin and you have a chance to beat me this year and they pro- probably did because i didn't win right right uh but it takes me like 45 minutes to rip the the two sides of the tickets in half right Jeez. and then accordion fold the one and then um and then rip off all the individual tickets and make this big massive mold pile here and then, uh, then I realized this year, um, some, usually I wear my, like, my Annie Up Camp shirt, you know, with that little pocket in the front. Yeah. And shove the tickets in that. This year, you know, I'm very proud of my new Annie Up uh, soccer jersey, so I wore that. No pockets, because, you know, you know, you can't put hands in pockets in the soccer match. It's not going to work, right? Right. Although, you really should, because you're not allowed to use your hands. Hmm. You could put your, like, yellow and red cards in there, too. Yes, that's true, but... So then I had to realize I had to pick up this whole big mountain of tickets, and I promise you it was a lot. And then I had to like just like hold on to them like it's a baby. Yeah. And then you know how crowded it gets there with all the the people there in front of the tables and stuff. In. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm worried somebody's just gonna bump me and tickets are gonna fly everywhere, right? So I was really protective of it. And then uh, so what I, my strategy is I, I do a whole loop and I put one in everything just so I have a chance of winning everything even if I don't want it, right? Um, and then maybe two or three because I had a lot. And then you, you, every time I go around, I'll put like 10 or 15 or 20 in the big ones I want. I did like seven laps, Chris. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I still have a 1,000 tickets here. <laughs> so eventually I just dumped them all in the one, and I'm like, I got to win this thing, right? I mean, the, the the ticket thing was just like melting based on the weight of my tickets alone. But no, didn't win. But, oh, um, but anyhow, so but it was a fun tournament. And then um, and because I drove over, I didn't have a hotel or anything. You know, it's a tough tournament to to cash in because a lot of people um, they actually give you good value in terms of the structure. I think for a charity event, plus they take a lot of breaks so they can do raffle prizes, they do auctions and things like that. So it's a long tournament. I mean, if you, if you get all the way to the final table, you're there till like three a.m. when they close down the room, right? Mm. So uh, I'm like, you know, hey, I'm going to go all for, all for nothing because once the raffle prizes are done, I want to get on the road and get out of here unless I got a big stack, right? So um, I got down to the um, the dinner break, and um, I had ten big blinds left. Okay. Now at the dinner break, you can do an extra forty dollars to get another six thousand chips. So I actually had six thousand in chips, and then I had to make the decision: do I do another forty just to double my stack and have twenty big blinds to come back, or do I just go balls to the wall after dinner, hope it works out? If it doesn't, then I just hang out for the raffles and I get in the car. So what would you do, Chris? Uh, I'd shove when I got back from dinner. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do the extra forty. No, I don't think the value's there for that. <clears throat> I think you get one double up from anyone who just feels like calling you because you're short stacked, and you get double through for and you save the forty bucks for gas and Taco Bell on the way home. I think you were right on that. I I was thinking, hey, it's for the kids, whatever. So I did, and um, it probably kept me there until ten o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but wait a minute, I, the um, so the add-on goes to the kids. I thought that was for the price. Yeah, it all goes to yeah. Oh no, no matter what, it goes to charity. Uh, then if I'm if I'm in a charitable mood, I might do it because I'm just giving to the kids. That's that's well, different. So your answer doesn't change then because you're next. right. 
Yeah, I'm not charitable, so yeah, I, <laughs> I just shove. <clears throat> uh, but no, so I got back and I ended up, uh, for whatever reason, I didn't, uh, I think I had like, you know, a pocket pair in late position, so instead of a low pocket pair, like trays or something like that with a bunch of collars, so I wasn't going to shove at that point, and I, I limped, you know, and then I actually hit my set on the turn, um... But I, I was trying to trap, and then of course I trapped myself in the end. The woman hit her flush, and so oh. save save my I chip stack, but I depleted it a little bit. And then I went all in blind on the next hand with it ended up being ten six, and I spiked a ten to beat a guy that uh, bet into a dry side pot to drive out the other guy. Love that. <laughs> and, and he he won, and he, so he threw his, his cards face down on the table, and everybody's like, "Hey, you got to turn him up. You got this other guy in the hand." And he's like, "Oh my god, I didn't even see you." I'm like, "Thank you, thank you for not even noticing me. I was in the hand." <laughs> And I'm like, well, well, good news for you is I haven't looked at my hand. So if you had a good enough hand to bet, uh, I'm sure you got me beat. And then he had nothing. He had ace high. And then I peeled off the 10. So I doubled up. And then I went on a run. And I was there until um, almost 10 o'clock, I think. And I'm coining a new term, Chris. I'm coining the term effective bubble. Effective bubble. All right. So when you say bubble in a tournament, right, you're talking about the one spot before the money, right? Right. Um, but in a tournament of 606 people or whatever it is this year, they paid 61 spots, right? I went out ooh, with nine tables left. So somewhere, they didn't have the clock updated, so somewhere between 80 and 90, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to call that the effective bubble. The, the effective bubble, because what do you... The bubble, I bubbled it. I was there a long time. I, if I would have... Uh, <laughs> Hit my jack or my ten on that last hand, I probably would have been able to limp in because people were going out like every second, right? Right. And I probably would have had enough chips just to limp into the money. Um, but I didn't hit my hand, and you know I played it right, I think, and got lost and knocked out. But I'm going to call it I effectively bubbled this tournament because I finished <laughs> twenty thirty out of the money, but in a big field. <laughs> All right, hang on. Do you hear this? Can you hear that? Yeah, yeah. This is me writing Hendon Mob, asking him to add this category. <laughs> it's, uh, effective... So you don't think this term is going to take off, right? The tournament? No, I don't think the term is going to take off at all. I, effective bubble. I mean, every person on the planet would would be the effective bubble, I think, in like the main event of the World Series. Then I, I don't Not think that's... everybody would. I don't know what the effective bubble would be in it. All right, so I went out like uh, in nine hundredth place in two thousand seven in the fifteen hundred event that had three thousand plus in it. I was the effective bubble, even though I probably missed cash on no, by three hours. They probably paid three hundred spots. No, they paid six hundred. They paid uh, well. No, I went out six hundredth, and they paid three hundred yeah, out of three thousand people. That's double. Well, that's, wait, wait, wait a minute. Twenty in this tournament. I went out like eighty or ninety. Oh man! Now you're stretching the term to make it. Well, you're bigger the field, they get stretched more. It's a big field. Yeah, My well, field was five times the size of yours. So I should get five times the, the, the effective bubbleness. All right, here's what I want to do. I want the Andy Up Nation to weigh in on this. Uh, effective bubble is a real thing. I just declared <laughs> it. It's a real thing. Trademark. Now what we need to do is we just need to define it. So uh, so help us define what effective bubble is. Trademark's got long. Yes. Email right. us at podcast at anteupmagazine.com and let us know. Of course, if you had the idea and you were there representing Andy Up, then it's now an Andy Up trademark, so I half own it. Yeah, that's true. That's I remember true. that. So. Yeah. All right, effective bubble. Yeah, you, you get the bubble part, I get the effective part. <laughs> hey, man, I'm bubblicious. <laughs> All right.
right, so one last story before we move on to other poker stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is supposed to be a quick story, he said, too. 15 it is minutes a quick in. story, and I'm still laughing about it. So, you know, um, every year they, they have a bunch of celebrities. I mean, the last couple of years has been Phil Hellmuth. You know, obviously I mentioned Mike Sexton was here, Norman Chad. Um, you know, I'm trying to think who else they've had in the past that have, have been there. But big names, right? Mm-hmm. Um and uh, they make a big deal promoting these names, right? So people know. So it's part of the reason that people come down and see them. And um, and they do a good thing before the tournament starts is they put them all at a, at a poker table out in the lobby. And you can line up and you just walk down and get autographs from all of them, right? I remember. I remember. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a pretty cool deal, right? Yeah. So um, as I am you know, have my literally human baby size stack of raffle tickets that I'm trying to disperse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of our cruise passengers um, comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, Scott, people are getting pictures with Doyle Brunson over there." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, it's Doyle Brunson over there." And I'm like, uh, "Doyle Brunson is not here. I'm sorry." And then on the other side of the raffle tickets, his wife pokes his head up. He's like, "Hey, hey Scott," and he's like, that, "That's not him, right?" And I'm like, I, "I don't know who you're talking about yet, but." Uh, I really, honestly, would believe that if if the uh, if the organizer of the tournament who talked to me like every week had secured Doyle Brunson here, that they would have let me know so I could spread the word, right? Right. But I'm like, yeah. I, hey, yeah, I, I, I'm not Doyle Brunson's keeper. You know, maybe he just said, hey, this is great because there have been pros in the past that have heard from other pros that have, this is a good event and they just show up. Um, not really on the Doyle Brunson level, but you know, hey, I don't know the guy, right? You met him, I haven't. Right. Maybe he wanted to come to the beach. Who knows, right? So I'm like, well, I, I'm in the middle of a very serious raffle situation here right now. Let me finish <laughs> this, and then uh, then I'll investigate, right? Yeah. So um, I finish the raffles, and I walk over, and color me surprised. Here is uh, a guy in a cowboy hat with a walker taking photos. People are snapping. There's a long line of people, and people are chatting with him and shaking his hand. And I'm like, I cannot believe these guys didn't tell me Doyle Brunson was here. <laughs> So then I get a little closer, and I'm like, hmm, now I haven't seen Doyle in a while, but he's lost a lot of weight. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not Doyle Brunson at all. And meanwhile, this Doyle Brunson, and I'm using air quotes here, right? Right. Was snapping all these photos and talking to people literally 10 feet from where Mike Sexton and all the other celebrities were sitting down signing autographs, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is hilarious. These people really honestly believe that they're getting their photo taken with Doyle Brunson. It's just a guy that just looks like it's just eating this up, right? And I'm like, all right, well, and maybe some people are just taking the photo because they think it's funny. But I, I really, there were people all throughout that thing, everywhere I went from the brunch to the rent bathroom to the raffle tickets where I, oh, my God, oh, Brunson's here. Can you play Doyle Brunson's here? And they were serious writing, right? And I'm like, this guy's not Doyle Brunson. So I'm like, but hey, far for me to say anything like that. So... Uh, about four hours from the tournament, um, they stop the tournament and they're on the loudspeaker and they're like, "Hey guys, um, just want to let you all know, uh, Doyle Brunson was not here today." <laughs> <laughs> so if any of you got your photo with Doyle Brunson, I hate to break it to you, uh, you did not get your photo with Doyle Brunson. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be kidding! But anyhow, me. I just had to mention that and good luck in the rest of the tournament. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh my god! I mean, really, that is—it it was really something to watch. These people lined up, and this this guy—I don't know who he was. I don't know what he was doing. If he did it on purpose, if he just happened to be there, and somebody came up and wanted to take a picture, and I was like, "Oh, all right, whatever." And all of a people lined up. Whatever it was, it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. Well, you know, Doyle Brunson's been playing poker for eighty-five years, so 
It's true. It's that's hard. Why I said it's I hard. Seen him yeah, you haven't seen him in a while, so maybe you don't know <clears throat> what he looks like anymore. But uh, well, that's that's kind of sad. Loss, a pretty good spitting image. So you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fault anybody for falling for it. I'm faulting people for not using critical thinking skills to think about. If Doyle Brunson was there, would he just be hanging out in the crowd? But uh, but I could see if you were a casual poker fan, you look at that, I'm like, ah, oh, Tim, he's got the cowboy hat on and everything, you know, whatever. But, oh, man. It's pretty so sad. anyhow, so if anybody's <clears throat> listening there that didn't get knocked out before they made the announcement and you're on Facebook with your photo of Doyle Brunson, you have 190 likes, you're going to have to let those people know that uh, uh, <laughs> you don't know who the Google is. So hate to break it to you, but hey. Oh man! Hey, can you ever go anywhere and not have like something funny happen to you? <laughs> See, I told you you were gonna laugh at that. I story. did. I laughed. That was pretty funny. All of it was funny. Of course, it was twenty minutes long. So <laughs> I told you it takes a long time to make me laugh. Sixteen minutes. Maybe, so. <laughs> All right, moving on. All right, and speaking of Mike Sexton, the day after he was the main attraction at the, of course, this Deep Jack Trady Classic, the World Poker Tour announced that he was retiring as Vince Van Patten's co-host after fifteen years. Wow, we're old, Chris. Yeah, jeez. Uh, Tony Dunst will take his place as the uh, with the first event of the new season, and Sexton is going to become chairman of Party Poker, a place that he's uh, very familiar with. Right, right. Dunst is really good. Is he? Um, I yeah. actually, I've heard people <clears throat> rave about him. He is. He's real good. I, I haven't watched in a long time, but I have picked up a few episodes. It might have been one of the local ones here, like at the Seminole or whatever, but um, he's really good, good-looking kid, very, very smart, had his own segment, and uh, really knows what he's talking about, and uh, he's going to fit right in very well. And, of course, he wears a suit just like Sexton, so he's 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 yeah. spot on. So good luck to him, and uh, good luck to Sexton, too. That's uh, Yeah, party poker. I mean, that's... voice like Sexton. Huh? Does yeah, he, he doesn't have it. No, no, but he, he, he's got a good voice, though. He's, he's going to do well. I mean, as long as the show stays on. This was funny at the, like, I I didn't get a chance to go over it and and shake Mike's hand at the deep stack, but uh, he got knocked out fairly early. Uh, But as a good host, he walked around with a glass of wine and was just chatting with people. Right, right. right. And he stopped to talk to someone, and he sounds exactly like he does on TV. Now, I I know how stupid that statement sounds. (laughs) (laughs) He's not doing voices uh, on TV. (laughs) Uh, but you just have this thing. I mean, he's got such a unique voice. It's almost like it's a TV voice. But it's so it's funny just to hear him in a normal everyday conversation with that that squeaky Mike Sexton voice. Yeah, yeah. No, he. Uh, yeah, he's. I don't know. It, they didn't pick him for his voice. That, they picked him because uh, you know his poker prowess and he was party poker guy and and probably friends with uh, whatever his name is that started. But uh, yeah, it wasn't his voice that got him the job. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, we can't go there without a poker pro making <clears throat> some kind of silly prop bet, right? Yeah, it just seems like. Uh, so, poker pro Michael Norrie failed in his quest to eat one thousand dollars worth of McDonald's in thirty-six hours. A prop bet suggested to him by tournament director Matt Savage. About ten hours into the bet, he had only consumed about ninety dollars worth of food. And the bet was called off soon after he hit a hundred dollars and realized eh, it ain't gonna happen. That's pretty gross. I mean, seriously. I mean, who would think that they could? You look at the McDonald's menu, and you got to see the most expensive thing on the menu is what? Maybe five bucks. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Individual item, probably. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So, right. If if you're like if if you spent five dollars on one item, or if you spent that's the thing is you don't want value in this bet. I mean, you don't want to get the combo meal. Yeah, you're not ordering off the dollar menu. <clears throat> right, exactly. So even if you bought like a $6 salad, I mean, you're, you even bought a $10 salad. You're not going to eat 100 salads. 
Yeah. In 36 hours. You're just not going to do it. I mean, that was just crazy. What is he thinking? Well, a couple things. I mean, I'm not a big prop bet guy. I think we talked about that before, too. I, I don't think it really um, um, shines well on our uh, industry. But um, but a couple things I think are interesting about this is that it was a dollar amount. So there, it added a little extra strategy, I think, right? Instead of saying, hey, you have to eat 500 pounds worth of McDonald's hamburgers. Right, right. right. $1,000 worth of McDonald's food. And it didn't count uh, beverages. So you're, you know... The Diet Cokes that you're washing all this down didn't count. Right. So, um, so he went in doing it. I believe uh, he had <coughs> 500 apple slices he was going to do, <laughs> which is good because, you know, if you think about, you know, $1,000 worth of burgers and fries, I mean, uh, even. Uh, yeah, he super si- yeah, supersized me in one day instead of a right. month. Exactly. It ain't going to happen, right? So you need to you need to mix it up with whatever is healthy on the menu there. Um so it's interesting that there's a dollar sign. There's interesting that there's a strategy, um, and I, I don't. I believe the story I read. He he bailed on that strategy, and he had decided not to do that. Um, so I don't know what he got for his hundred bucks. But I mean, I would say even a hundred bucks in ten hours is tough. Yes, for a normal person. And this guy was not big either, right? Oh, I don't know. Of, I don't know what he looks like. It looks kind of normal size. Now that doesn't mean because you're big you can eat more, but um, you know because we see Joey Chestnut with the uh, hot dog eating guy. Right. Right. Yeah, that's probably a thousand dollars worth of hot dogs. And he doesn't five minutes, so <laughs> should, have, should study that, right? Oh man, and he, I mean ten hours. I mean, if you're not a professional eater, you know, what I mean, ten hours. This is no way. I mean, I'm I, I know he had thirty six hours to do it, but I mean, in ten hours, how could you just be eating for ten hours straight? I mean, you just can't. Yeah, that's the thing. So, I mean, what is your strategy with thirty six hours? Because you got to sleep at some point, right? Right. So there goes eight. Well, no, eight, come on. Four or five. I, I can get by on maybe four hours. All right, so 32 hours left. Yeah. Um, but you got to be eating nonstop those 32 hours. Yeah, you're just trying to kill yourself. That's all you're trying to do. There's, just not, there's no way to physically do it. Even if you're Joey Chestnut, a hot dog, I mean, I mean, whatever he's doing, those hot dogs, they're not worth $20 a hot dog, you know, when he eats well, 50 or whatever. Aiden, so they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. That's that's oh, sick. All right, so if I'm going to do this, I would have to like load up on that uh, X-Lax kind of stuff, right? <laughs> nice. Because the only way you have a chance of this is that it goes in and comes right back out. Right? Nice, nice. I'm serious. If I'm going to try to win this thing, it, it, I'm not worried about the comfort of the people watching. <laughs> 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 I'm literally going to bring the, uh, the toilet out, and I'm just going to be sitting there and have a table around me. Oh, man. That's pretty gross. Uh, the other gross thing too is they said they had up two hundred thousand bucks wagered on this as well too. Ah, oh, man. So I wonder if you had like a buyout, like you know, all right, just let me give you five hundred and let me stop eating at ten hours. <laughs> God, that's nasty. I can't even imagine how bad he's. Pe- he's probably still feeling bad. This was a couple of days ago. I like if yeah. you can put a hundred bucks of McDonald's food me in in ten hours, uh, I'm going to be wrecked for the rest of the month. <laughs> All right. Any updates? We have five any poker cruises on the schedule with deadlines for our August 26th sailing to Cuba and our September 17th sailing out of Galveston, Texas, closing in fast. All passengers on all sailings get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com, a one-month membership to advanced poker training, and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit com. 
Also, J Design, the official playing cards of Annie Up Cruises, is just two grand shy of its ten thousand dollar Kickstarter campaign to produce bridge size cards with jumbo indexes. If you'd like to contribute, more information can be found at J Design's Facebook page uh, by searching for J Design at Kickstarter.com, and that's spelled D E S J G N. Now, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at anniapmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Four in Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from Mike Young, our buddy, our ambassador of the Mid-Atlantic region. He says, this past weekend I was playing at a local casino that recently started having weekend tournaments. I played in the evening, $150 buy-in. While I typically don't pay much attention to my tournament receipt, this night I noticed that it stated a $15,000 guarantee. But midway through the event, after the rebuys ended, someone brought this up as they were looking at the prize pool, about $4,580, as there are only 38 people in the tournament. The folks at the table asked the floor manager who refused to honor the guarantee printed on the receipt. He said if it was on the calendar, that'd be a different story. I can't help but feel ripped off. What are your thoughts? All right, first of all, um, before we get to this, I've I got to ask you a question here, Chris. Okay. Uh, um, so Mike Young, one of our ambassadors, um, when I got back from this European trip that we just did, right, I, uh-huh. I, I put a picture of the backpack um, that I packed for all 25 days and with a detailed accounting of everything I was able to fit in there. I was really proud that I was able to make that work the entire trip because I tend to be an overpacker, right? Uh-huh. And um, so, and I only pack one pair of jeans. So uh, my uh, response was only one pair of jeans, and I'm like, well, I, I wore a full outfit as well too. So I had another pair. So I had two pair of jeans for the trip. And it's like two pair of dream jeans for the 25 days. Gross. And that's exactly how he wrote it. <laughs> uh, so I gotta ask you, Chris. Now I, you probably you don't wear a lot of pants. You wear shorts. But uh, what what was your uh, Inventory of things below the waist for this trip. Um, one pair of jeans. And one pair. One pair of jeans, and I had one pair of slacks because of the whole one pair of slacks. Yeah, at the dining, I wasn't sure if they're going to throw me out the dining room if I didn't. Have, you know, if I wore jeans or something. So one night for the formal, I wore slacks. But if if we weren't on a cruise ship, I wouldn't even have brought that. So <laughs> so you would have done one pair of jeans. One pair of jeans only for, for the entire for month. You were gone longer than I was. Yeah. A couple yeah. days before, and then you were still traveling like a day or two after I was. Right, I came home on the 16th. You came home on, I think, on the 13th. So, yeah, one pair are, of jeans. Are we gross? Oh, yeah. We yeah, are. we're gross. We're, here's the deal. Jeans you can get away with wearing a few times, and, you know, if you're not some doing some crazy, sweaty, smelly stuff, you know, then you can get away with maybe five times without really having to do anything to them. But exactly. after that, you know, it gets pretty gross. So, yeah, I tried to... I tried to plan it so that we would either do laundry in Europe once or we would do them in Connecticut when we got back to my uh, my stepson's house. And that would have been three weeks, four weeks in anyway. Um, but no, I mean, when you're when you're trying to go across Europe and stuff, people are backpacking across Europe. What do you think they're backpacking with? Do you think they got, you know, like a, a Kia Sophia strapped to their yeah, back? I mean, imagine having a pair of jeans for every day of my life. That yeah. would be ridiculous. No, no, there's no chance. There's no chance. No, and I did laundry four or five times too that's what i said but you know i mean we were it was never hot anywhere so right. we're sweating you know and, and you're not even supposed to wash jeans every every wearing i mean the jean people will tell you that right no i, I did laundry once over a month that's gross. <laughs> well what we would do is like we would rinse things out 
you know, in a hotel room or something if we, you know, if we wore more than twice or something. And then, but, um, you know, I tried to do laundry in 2014 in Italy and it was going to cost like $80 to do like two loads. And I'm like, what? No, we're going to wash stuff, underwear in the sink, man. This is crazy. It was crazy, ridiculous, expensive. So, all right, so I guess we should answer this question then. But. Yeah, let's answer this question. You all go right, first. so uh, this is what I told him is that I understand the the feeling of being ripped off. You know, you've got something that says it's a guarantee in your hand, and the floor says, "Hey, sorry, any guarantee." Um, <coughs> but this is, I think, we go back to the call of the floor here, where you're trying to win a pot on a technicality, right? Yeah, I feel like this is trying to win a guarantee on a technicality. I mean. It wasn't advertised in advance as a guarantee. Um, simply what happened is some whoever was doing the tickets just forgot to update the ticket or take it off or whatever, made a clerical error on there. Right. But it wasn't advertised as the guarantee. If it was advertised as a guarantee, then I'm, I'm with you on this. But if it was just a clerical error on a receipt, um, I, you're, you're not going to win that argument with me. Um, and furthermore, I think if you press it, this is the kind of stuff that makes – poker rooms close down, make poker rooms raise rate, take away services, make it much more difficult for them to survive. Um, so let's just kind of be fair with our rooms, right? So, yeah. I mean, if, if it's an egregious error, they advertise as a big guarantee you can get in there, and then all of a sudden the poker manager feels like he's going to lose his job, so say, hey, sorry, not going to do it. That's a different story. Let's get upset. Let's save our rage for that. But if it's a clerical error like this on a stupid daily tournament that you know should have never been a $15,000 guarantee, let's not make a big case about it. I agree. I, I I mean, it's it's like the typo in a flyer. On, you know, I mean, it, there are things that you can take seriously, and there are things that you should just let go. And that's one of the things. Clearly, someone there's a 15k tournament at this place the weekend before or something, and they just forgot to take it off the printing thing. And that's it's not advertised as one. Then you don't get that, and that's the way it goes. And just yeah, I mean, go. it's not like you're playing Triple Pursuit and the card says moops, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just keep it in perspective here. That's right. See, you, just air. you need me as your straight man, because I reminded you of that by saying a typo. You never would have said that without me. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Our good friend Dave Beeson says, we're in a $100 no-limit hold'em tournament at a whole casino. The clock was being stopped a lot for various reasons. One, the tournament had late registration for two hours. The tournament started with four tables, but at one point they had enough to open a fifth table. They stopped the clock to seat that table, possibly because they needed to pull a player or two from existing tables to bring them up to nine players at the new table. Two, when enough room had opened up at other tables, they stopped the clock to break a table and relocate, but not every time. At least two tables broke without stopping the clock. Three, alongside the tournament, there were a couple of cash games running. The director stopped the clock when chips were delivered to the table. This process typically takes two to three minutes to do the paperwork. Uh, four, when they are down to ten players, a redraw happens for the seats at the final table, and they deal out to determine the new button. This stoppage I agree with. I would think that a tournament with several thousand participants would get pretty grumpy with frequent clock stoppages. Elliot says, uh, there are really very few valid reasons to ever stop the tournament clock, especially in a small to medium-sized room. The clock should be stopped when the field reduces down to the point where all seats will be drawn. Also, the clock should be stopped when a dispute, usually involving a large amount of chips, can't be settled unless surveillance assists. Even then, it's not necessary to stop the clock for every surveillance call. Also, the clock should be stopped when there is an act of violence among players. Gosh, I hope that never happens. Jeez. 
<laughs> Never seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> active violence, not, not passive violence. Yeah, no, active. Uh, hopefully this is, is this as rare as it should be. Otherwise, there's no need to stop the clock to open new tournament tables, close tournament tables, balance tables, etc. It was quite puzzling to read that the clock was stopped so that a cash game could get a fill. The two actions are quite unrelated. This sounds like inefficient operation, inefficient regulation, or in the worst case, a truly bad combination of both. I certainly hope this poker room finds a way to improve the guest experience for its players. Hang in there and please try to bring your concerns to the manager on a consistent basis. He may not be aware of the player's perspective on these situations. Mm. Sounds good to me. Yeah, this is, wow. I mean, I've, I've played in some really bad rooms, but I was reading this thing. I was like, <gasps> no, you don't say that. No way. Oh, come on. You're making that up. <laughs> All right, so real quick, I, I bowled in a tournament a little while ago where <clears throat> they paid the top five spots. And the people running the tournament, they had people tie for second place with, let's say they bowled 800 or something, okay? They tied for second. So the people paid them both the second place money. They split the second place money and then paid the, th- the guy who finished numerically third the third place money. So he made the two people who tied for second paid the second place money only and split it between them. Wow. So not taking second and third and splitting that between them and then paying the guy who numerically finished third the fourth place money, they did that. And people were, like, ripping, ripping mad. This is the kind of stuff that you have to bring to people's attention and then, like, boycott. I I will never bowl that tournament again unless they publicly correct the mistake give the people the money that they deserve their money you know what i mean that's the kind of thing so here if if you feel like you know something's not being right you have to bring it to their attention and then if if they continue to do the same things that you know are wrong because we know elliot's right on this then you might consider going somewhere else to get your money worth because stopping that clock only helps you know the people doing their job rather than the, the field it's not right so I mean, it's just ridiculous to me that they would even do that in that bowling tournament. I mean, it, how, do you, how do you even not understand what you're doing wrong there? I can see this is probably a very inexperienced tournament director that just thinks that there's no problem stopping the clock and thinks that stopping the clock is actually being fair. Right. So these things are not inconveniencing people. So, you know, I hate to be overly critical that, uh, it, it, that I don't want – because I, I, I can understand why somebody would think that this is actually being good. Um for the game, uh, but somebody needs to actually explain why it's not good. Yeah. Especially the cash game thing. I mean, they're totally unrelated. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to think <clears> that <throat> if this tournament director is brought to their attention by somebody that he or she trusts, um, that this would be a quick fix. That's yeah. probably just something that, you know, again, they think it's... We got, a, we got a guy who just got knocked out of a tournament. His car won't start in the parking lot. Stop the clock. <laughs> Stop the clock! While AAA gets here. <laughs> hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Here we go. Here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a $1, $2, no-limit hold'em casino cash game. It's really early in the night. In fact, this is the first major hand we've been a part of. We bought in for 200 and after chopping the blinds once and seeing about 10 hands or so, we're starting to get somewhat of a feel for the table. Unfortunately, this means we now know the two players seated directly to our left are loose aggros. 
The blinds post and it's folded all the way around to us on the cutoff with the ace of diamonds, jack of diamonds. Now this can be a trap hand, but with only the button and blinds left to act, we're going to make a raise. Standard seems to be between $10 and $12, but since the two players to my left are laggies, we're going to make it $15 to go. They both call, but the big blind folds. With roughly $45 in the pot, the flop is the king of spades, jack of hearts, four of clubs. Not a great flop. The small blind checks, and since we were the preflop aggressor, we're going to keep it up. We bet $25. The button calls, small blind folds. The button started the hand with around $300. The turn is the seven of diamonds. Now this is when it starts to sink in. Playing out of position against a laggy is never good strategy. We check. The button makes a $50 bet into the pot of $95. Something isn't really sitting right with me. No raise preflop and no raise to my $25 bet on the flop. Could this be a king? We've only invested $40 into this pot, but I'm not convinced we're beat. We call. The river is the king of clubs. We check. Our opponent leads out for another $50. So, kings and jacks with an ace kicker? Are we good here? What's the move? Uh, this is the coin flip, uh, but my gut tells me that the uh, lag took our turn check as a green light to steal this pot. Uh, so I'm going to call. Yeah, it's either call or fold, and we weren't really afraid of that bet earlier, and you know there was a king on the flop, so I don't see how we can fold. I mean, if I believed I was beat on the turn, I would have folded then. So a second king really doesn't change anything for me. So mm. let's see what happens. Hello again. It really feels like the only hand we're losing to is a flop set that rivered a boat. But I'm just not going to be scared of those monsters under the bed. No king makes sense here. Even if this river bet reeks of a value bet, the rest of his actions seem suspect. What king from a loose aggro only calls our raise preflop and then simply calls our bet on the flop? He sensed weakness on the turn and now is trying to push us out on the river. There is literally no straight and no flush possible. So in my mind, it's either a king or it's not, and all the evidence adds up to it's not. We make the call. Aces are good, he says. Not aces, we reply, keeping our cards down. Our opponent huffs and puffs, thinks about mucking, but then ultimately turns over pocket threes. Ship it. A seat opens up to the left of the laggies, and we're all over it. I don't even care that I have to post the big blind. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, even with the right read, you might be put in a scary situation. Try to place yourself at the table more advantageously. I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, also, you know, we're often asked how to play against lags, and uh, I find it really difficult to play against them. But um, And I think other people obviously find it very difficult to play against them. But but this is what I think is one of the common weaknesses in those player style of play. Um, they just they can't help themselves. They can't pass up an opportunity to steal a pot when weakness is shown. So, you know, we just need to figure out based on how the hand plays out whether they're actually stealing or not. So, you know, I, I think what we let ourselves focus on is that we never put these players on a hand, right? Because right. they're doing the same thing with nine four off as they are with pocket aces. And the one time that we think that we got them, then they turn over the nuts and it hurts. But uh, but you have to really pay attention to the hand. And, you know, when we slow down, this guy just, you know, like animal human nature, 
oh, I got a bet now. Now I'm going to steal his pot. And right. then and the last card came, and he's like, well, I can only win if I bet, and so I have to bet. And then it, it's easy to think at that point, oh, my gosh, I don't know what he has. I don't know where I am in this hand. It's best for me to fold when this is the time that you have to like look at it and say, hey, no, this is adding up, and this is the time i got to make a stand and, and hope that I'm right. And you were. Yeah, I mean, you find this a lot in, like, free play situations or, or bar leagues, you know, where they're playing for, you know, tabs and stuff like that. They they really want to emulate what they see on TV. They want to just bluff and steal. And you just have to, in those situations, you have to give them enough rope. Now, I'm not saying that this was a huge bluff or a huge situation where it was obvious that we had the best hand, but, you know, the idea that we weren't afraid to call when there was one king should have slowed him down, but he... and Instead, wanted to rep that flopped king, and it just didn't work out. I mean, if we called on the turn, you know, we weren't afraid of you. So, how are you representing it now? So, it was just, it was just a common sense kind of thing. And he's got to give enough rope to let them hang themselves when they're that aggressive. Absolutely. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. This week's uh, email comes from Justin uh, Mastren, Ma- Mastandria. <laughs> Mastandria, maybe. Yeah, sorry. Mast- sorry Mastandria. <laughs> Your name's past four letters. We're never going to get it. Right. <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. But <clears throat> all right, he says. Um, I was at Foxwoods a few days ago playing 2-5 with a buddy of mine. We had driven up from New York, and we were playing for about five hours when this hand happened. I had started with 400 and built it up to squiggly 725. Well, let me give some advice, all right? Tip your waitresses no matter how hard it is to do. Otherwise, you'll never hear the end of it. Just have, like, a little stack of chips there, and every time she walks by, even yes, she, she just anything, just give her it. something. Don't don't let her go by without giving her something, because you'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> All right, uh, Justin says, I was in middle position and had established a somewhat tight image, I thought. And I looked down at Queen of Spades, Queen of Hearts. And I should say he had been folded to him in middle position. So, Standard raise. Whatever the standard raise has been all that time, let's let's make it that raise. So, What, did, what, did you, what kind of game was it, 2-5? 2-5, yeah. Yeah, so standard raise, 20-25, whatever they do. I agree. Okay. And he says, uh, since it folded me, I made a standard raise to the table of 25 bucks. All right, so we're all all good so far. Okay. Gets folded to the button who calls, and the small blind also calls. Uh, the big blind folds, so it's three of us, uh, and $80 in the pot when the flop comes down to deuce of spades, queen of spades, ten of clubs, ten of clubs, clubs, not clubs. Okay, clubs. so I already have an... Uh some advice here. It's a foul deck, and obviously you're getting your money back because you had the Queen of Spades in your hand. Oh my gosh, you're right! So, foul deck, get your money back! Next week, we'll deal with, uh, I don't know. This is going to really hurt when he hits that fourth queen and his bad beat is invalidated. Yep, you're not going to make any money here, so I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Next hand. Uh, you love the attention to detail from one half of the hosts on the show, right? <laughs> Uh, all right, the small blind who has the second most chips at the table with squiggly 1400 is a solid player who has been on a run of good cards lately, having flop quads. Hope they were all different suits. Um, and rivering a straight flush on two of the last hands. <coughs> He's showed quality hands, so I have respect for him. He checks. Well, here's uh, the deal if it was two spades on the board, I might bet differently than if it was completely dry. You know what I mean? Um,. So if we had like the Queen of Clubs and there's actually two spades on there, I might bet more. 
if I know it's that dry, I'm going to have to bet because it looks fishy if I don't bet. Um, plus, you're kind of protecting Broadway here. Many people would play something like King Jack or whatever. So, you know, I mean, I'm going to bet. How much was in the pot about? Uh, 80. Yeah, I, I'd probably bet like 65. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Or at, least, at least half the pot storm, I would have bet. So yeah, at least half, but it probably 60, 65. Um, all right, uh, let's see. Uh, gets back to me. While I know I have the best hand, probably can get away with a free card. I decide to bet. I make it fifty to go on the flop. Yeah, that's not too bad. Fair enough. Yep. I think as long as you're half pot, you're good. So. Right. Uh, the button, who's probably in his early twenties and only sat down two hands ago, snap calls. He has squiggly four hundred. The small blind calls as well. well. Very interesting. Wow. With two hundred thirty in the pot. The turn is a deuce of hearts, so our board is deuce of spades, queen of something, ten of clubs, deuce of hearts. <laughs> okay, well, we got the, the full house, so. And the small blind again checks. Yeah, I mean, I I, I might bet again. I probably would bet again, only because somebody could have a deuce out there, and you're hoping they have a deuce, and, um, you know, they have a smaller boat. Or something, and if you check, I mean that's kind of cool. You're hoping somebody might steal and whatever, or you might get them to bet out at you on the river to steal, or they maybe do have that deuce and they've missed their opportunity to bet. Who knows? Um, I guess it would depend on how I feel like they are. If I feel like they don't believe me, or if I feel like they're gonna go, come along, or if they're still drawn for spades and they're not seeing the possible boat, I might bet again. Um, Smallish though, like I don't know, like half the pot. Yeah, so there's probably uh, it's two thirty in the pot, so like hundred hundred. Yeah, yeah, something like a hundred or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like betting here too because you know if it's an odd. I think most people would think it's an odd thing to do if we had the boat there. I think most people would slow down and try to let somebody catch up and trap, but. I would rather put the bet out there and have somebody raise me thinking that I'm doing that than to check and to check behind. So I'm just trying to build a pot here, and if nobody has anything here, we're not getting any more money out of them anyhow, right? So, right. Um, I, I think it's a good chop to, time to bet, and I'm going to bet like I do want to do half the pot here. So 100 is fine because it's just easy, but you know, 115 is probably proper. I agree. All right, um, let's see. Small blind uh, head checked, and seeing how I no longer have to worry about the flush, I check as well. The button, however, decides to make a play and bets 100 into both of us. The small blind thinks for a moment before calling, and that makes me think for a minute. So I know I have the boat, but I'm beginning to think he may have a good hand, possibly kings or aces. I don't think the new guy has deuces. More likely he has ace-10. What do we do now? Oh, jeez. I mean, I'm going to, you know. I I mean, the only, thing, the only one hand that beats me, really. I mean, pocket kings would have raised, re-raised free flop or something, I think. Um, so, I mean, there are two hands that beat me, if you say it that way. But, I mean, I just, I don't feel like pocket kings is in this. So, I mean, quads, really? So, I, I just, I'm just shoving. Shoving? Right. Yeah, I'm going to get it all in. If, if there's somebody out there who's betting into me and there's so much money out there and if it's you know i mean i know we have like 700 to start this hand but i mean i'm i'm gonna get it in there you know especially as it seems like they don't believe me if somebody thinks they made, made the nut flush or a flush and they think it's good they're gonna get paid off 
and if somebody has a, a random deuce, you know, or king deuce suited or something that made a deuces full of kings or something, I mean, I'm not getting away from this hand. I mean, I, I, a, I'm really, really losing the one hand. All right, let me ask you this. So the button's the one that's driving the action here. Um, he had squiggly 400 before he put this 100 in, it looks like, I think. So he has 300 left. Um, I don't know what we're down to now. 80, 90, 400. Yeah, I guess it probably makes sense at that point. I was thinking maybe it's more effective to essentially put the other guy in, which you knew you can't do, but... Right. Yeah. 300 or so, so he's all in and maybe entice the other <coughs> in. I, I worry about losing the other player with the shove. Um, but I'm actually, uh, it, the bigger question to me is what's the best way to get value out of this entire hand? So we have somebody that, that bet into us. We have somebody else to call before it got back to us. You know, we do have the second best hand here, right? So. Um, and one is in the blinds, so it could be quads. That would be sick, but it's possible. But um, so really, at this point, I think we're only worried about an ace or king coming and being up against aces or kings. But I think you're right; it doesn't seem like that's what anybody has here. Um, so I'm almost wondering if we have better value just calling this a hundred and then trying to get it in on the river. But I think the problem with that is is that the small blind here is not going to bet the river, I don't think, right? Unless it's an ace or king, and that's going to really mess us up. So then it's going to be on us, and we can't check hoping that the guy behind us is going to bet. So we're going to have to bet the river if we don't bet this. So I think you might be right. I think we might just let, – let's press the action now. Yeah, for some reason I was thinking there was a king on the flop. I'm sorry. it was It's queen – 10 yeah. deuce i'm sorry okay so yeah so we're not even trailing that so really we only hand we're only losing the quads so i mean i guess um you could try the old min raise thing but that's just so fishy and sneaky that the only hand that's going to call you at that point you know what i mean is um uh, like you said pocket deuces or a, a random deuce might call you there but uh, yeah i just don't I don't know. I think it's enough to if somebody's betting into me, I think it's 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 time that we get it in. Yeah, I, I think the shove is predicated on the fact that betting enough just to put the button all in is kinda weird. So I think we just have to put it all in. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh let's see. Um I decide just to call to see what the river brings. All right. Well, I mean, it, it exactly. it's not a bad thing. It's just you've got the well, nuts. I just so. don't know how you, you know, I, I was inclined to do that, but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I don't know how you really proceed on the river to to get value out of here. So, um, you know, unless the scare card comes and then you are convinced that um, <coughs> you just got beat by it. But yeah. that seems to be a real monstrous on the bed thing. But uh, all right, uh, it's 5.30 in the pot, and the river is the king of spades. So our final board is deuce of spades, queen of something, ten of clubs, uh, deuce of hearts, king of spades. If it really is the queen of spades on the board and not in our hand, then um, a flush is there, which is exciting for us, right? Yeah, I mean, that helps now. And well, it hurts the king-king thing where I saw was earlier when I thought there was exactly. king on the board, but I don't think anyone plays kings this way at this point. I think at some point that whatever you probably pre-flop re-raised um so even after that flop i think somebody bets out or re-raises you know raises us or whatever so um i really don't put kings on anybody's hand if somebody was going for the flush draw and it got there that's that's sweet um 
but really now it get now gets back to what I was saying before. Now it's only really two hands that beat us. Pocket Kings and Deuces and those hands. I mean I guess the the deuces could have played it this way. Well it's a small blind, so <clears throat> but in a small blind it's possible. And really I guess it doesn't really matter if it's a small blind. I mean people like to play pocket pairs for this set mining. Right. Anywhere, but <clears throat> it adds credence to it if it's a small blind. But uh, yeah, I'm just whatever's left. I mean, I, I don't even what's the size right, of the, the thing. Pot? So without even letting the card rest, the small blind comes alive and announces all in, putting me all in because he has his covered. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't know if I can fold. I mean, I can't put him on King King. I don't think I can put him on King King. It's possible that he's just crazy and was doing those you know slow play and the whole way down and just hoping that an ace didn't come on him on him. You know what I mean? It's possible. But it sounds like he did it awfully quickly that the king barely even hit the their sight before he went all in. So, um, geez, I mean, I, I don't think I can fold. There's so much out there, and I've got queens full. You know, and only two hands beat me, and they're both unlikely. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm calling. I think I have to too. Uh, but now I'm really intrigued <laughs> what would happen uh, had we shoved on a turn. And the small blind really did have pocket kings. I don't think the pocket kings could call there. Yeah. But that's a result-oriented thing. But, right, right, right. Although, but, you know, I think, again, we talked about the strategy of getting more money out of it, so I don't know if it's a result-oriented thing. So, um, But now we got to adjust uh, based on what our hero did. And um, it, it's interesting to me that this person's coming alive now. I mean, you know, when somebody bet, the button bet on the last one, so... Well, he could be. He could have been drawn to the flush. Now that he's got, it, he doesn't want to lose value and check. Have everybody go check, check because they see the flush got there. He doesn't get any money on the end for it. So he could be doing that. He could be making it look like he's bluffing and he's got the flush, you know, or something like that. Um, he could have had King Deuce, you know, with because he's in the blinds and they're suited somehow, you know. And now he's made his boat. Who knows? But they, he's probably just looking to get value for his hand on the end because he knows if he. If he went check check and if he went check and then checked down the rest of the way because they're afraid of the flush, he's not making any money on it. So it could be anything he has in his hand. I, I just can't fold. Yeah, uh, I I think you're probably right. So, um, all right. Our hero says I admittedly was not expecting this, and it's a card I did not want to see. It was this. If this was any other card, with the exception of an ace, I'd easily snap call. However, there's something about this hand that's very tricky to me. Small blind has had no problems calling any of the bets and is now coming live on the river when a big card hits. Could he have the flush? Probably not because he's shown the ability to fold draws when the pot odds pot odds aren't right. Could he have a higher full house? I'm honestly leaning that way. When the other person in the hand decides to pipe up, hey, this is ridiculous. I want the floor now. I look up at the guy who's at the, who is in the button and clearly wants to shove his chips in. He has both hands behind him and is obviously waiting for me to make a move. I didn't even think I was taking that long, and I'm about to apologize when the small blind defends me. He hasn't taken that long. The younger gentleman is having none of it and proceeds to call the floor on me. I'm getting annoyed, but I still think the small blind has me. I know Queen's full and should probably call, but it just feels weird to me. Again, I hear, he's posturing. He's going to fold. He's got nothing. How much time does he have? I get very annoyed and decide to show the two people next to me, one my buddy, what I have before making an incredibly painful, painful laydown. The button, who lets out a huge sigh of relief, tells me I save myself money as he shoves his remaining chips in. He triumphantly turns over the ace, ten of spades for the nut flush. The small blind calmly tables the deuce of clubs, 
Deuce of Diamonds. Oh, lost. come on. But yells that it's ridiculous, and the guy got really lucky before getting up uh, before uh, getting up to go get more cash. The small blind asks what I had, and I tell him I folded Queen's full. My buddy confirms this, as does the other player, and the small blind tells me that that was an amazing laydown. Alas, my good luck doesn't last. As a few hands later, I get put in. Uh, put all in by a larger stack and get my aces cracked. Um, yeah, should I have raised more pre-flop? Should I bet more on the flop? I know he flopped a set, but was there any way he was going to fold based on how I was betting the flop and before it? There is nothing you could have done differently than maybe raise more pre-flop, but 25 in a 2-5 game, that's plenty. Yeah. I mean, really, once somebody flops a set, no one folds a set ever unless they flop a set and slow play and a four-card flush or a four-card straight gets there. They just don't fold sets. They just don't. And especially in that game, there's just no way a guy's folding his set. So you were going to lose all your money no matter what. Um, I mean, if if you didn't lay it down, uh, yeah, yeah so laying obviously. that down is incredible. I, I, it's unbelievable. I never would have laid that down ever. I, I can't imagine. I mean, if it was my house on the line, maybe, but for my normal buy-in at a poker game, there's no way I laid that down. That's incredible. Jeez, absolutely. Could you have laid that down? I mean, there's just no way. Well, I mean, I, I can see how you could. I mean, we did talk about you know the possibility. Now he's coming alive, being kings, I, and we did talk about the possibility of quads. So. I, what I think is funny about this hand is that we had a fan on our Facebook page just take us to task for always worrying about that we should have a disclaimer on this that we always worry about the monsters and the bet. Which I don't think is true, but again, we we do have a disclaimer that we suck at this, right? So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, it's not so much that it's so here's it's, a, here's it's a the medium. We, we didn't we didn't care about the monsters on the bed, and it would have cost us. So yeah, and it's 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 just that we know that it's hand of the week. And hand of the week, people are looking for ways to play it better because they sucked at it and they lost. That's generally what we go go in with in our heads, knowing hands of the week usually get submitted because they lost and they want to know how they could have played it better. You know, sometimes they win and they want to know how they could have gotten more money, but generally it's could I have played this better because I'm going to lose. So it's not that we're always afraid of the monsters of the bed; it's that you have to be cognizant of them. Especially in this situation, when you're starting to roll through hands and ranges of what hands could beat us, the way it's played, the only hand the way this was played could have beat us is pocket deuces. Because I don't think King King is in this hand. Yeah, I this way. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just thinking of that. We're like, well, one hand beats us. How many times do you fold to the one hand that beats you? And it's literally one hand. It's not one combination of King Jack that beats you, or one com. It's literally. That deuce and that deuce that beats you in this hand on this one situation at this one time when you flop a set of queens top set and turn a boat. So there's no way I'm afraid of this hand, and I'm I'm not afraid of the monsters of the bed. And look what happened. I would have called off, and I would have lost 725 bucks on this hand. So yeah, I just I don't. Oof, well, man, what a lay down too. That's incredible. I mean, he just got some vibes and he went on it. So good for him. What a terrible play by this kid is on the button, right? Yeah. Why is I he mean, even saying anything? About asking for the floor and everything. Two is this guy really so clueless that he doesn't see the paired board? That he doesn't see that this guy comes alive on the river with an all-in show, and that there's another guy agonizing over it. Yeah. yeah. And he hit third best hand. Yeah. Jeez. Well, kudos, Justin. That's an incredible lay down. One for the ages. One for the ages. Oh, <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Lock. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. 
Contact the show at podcast at antietmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antietmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. 